0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. You may grab a seat. Didn't our worship team do a great job of leading us in worship today? Yeah. Greatly appreciate them and greatly appreciate you and are so glad that you're with us today and we have an opportunity to be able to worship, spend time around God's Word. So we are thankful for all of that. And if you would right now, please take out the Word of God and turn in it in the New Testament to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and chapter number 12. So 1 Corinthians and chapter number 12. While you're turning there, uh, I wanted to just say that, you know, one of the simple rules in life is it's important that it fits. One of the simple rules of life, it's important that it fits. Now, that is certainly true of our clothes because, for example, you don't want to have pants that you can't get on. You know, I have noticed Something magical happens as you get older. Somehow, as you get older, our pants shrink. They get tighter. I don't really understand how that happens, but it happens. But one of the simple rules of life is it's important that it fits. I mean, you don't want pants that are going to just fall down, right? It is important that it fits. That's also true when it comes to remodeling a house, You know, in our home, we had some wall ovens that were more than a third of a century old. And so we thought, you know, let's go and replace the wall ovens. And so we went to Metro Builders Supply. Hey, we're here to replace our wall ovens. And then they asked this question. Well, are they 27 inches or are they 30 inches or some? Wall ovens are 24 inches, and I'm sitting there going like, guess I better go home and measure the wall ovens. I mean, I'm thinking they're all exactly alike. No, they're not. It is important that it fits. Just a basic, simple rule of life. And in similar ways, when it comes to how we serve God and how we minister to others, we will be most effective in doing that when what we are doing fits with the way that God has designed us to serve, divinely designed us. In this series that we began last week, and if you weren't here, I would encourage you to to get that message or to watch that message. But we've during this series, we've entitled Divinely Designed to Serve, and it's an exciting thing to me. I am really, really excited to be able to share this series with you, and I, I pray that it is also encouraging to you as we do that. Now, Just a little reminder, we based our message last time around Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where it says that we are His workmanship. We are His handiwork. We are His masterpiece. And notice, we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We have been divinely designed to serve Him. God has pre-planned a ministry for you to do, and for, for me to do, for all of us to do. So the question is, how did he shape us for serving? And we're using this acrostic shape in English, S-H-A-P-E, in each one of those letters stands for something. And we began last time by looking at the idea of spiritual gifts, which we stated is a lost treasure in Christianity at large. And last week, we gave a definition of a spiritual gift. We said a spiritual gift is a special, spirit-given ability to serve Christ and to serve others. And last time, we looked at two key foundational facts related to gifts Key fact number one is that God has given every believer a spiritual gift. I think actually gifts, some of us have some primary gifts and some secondary gifts. Key fact number two we saw last time is that you are indispensable. Without you, the body of Christ is spiritually hampered. Now, that's pretty much summarizing what we looked at last time. What's the plan for today? Well, we're actually going to be looking at four different things today today. We're going to look at the three V's of gifts. Then we're going to look at some gift descriptions. Then we're going to look at three fascinating facets about spiritual gifts. And then fourth, we're going to share with you some insights on how you can be identifying the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. So we're going to look first at the three V's of Gifts. And in order to do that, I want to read verses 4 to 6 from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you're there in 1 Corinthians 12, you can follow along as I read, beginning with verse 4 down through verse 6. This is one of those chapters on the whole subject matter of spiritual gifts. And Paul writes in verse 4, he says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. What we're learning here is that there is variety in this area of serving Christ. And we're going to see three different things. First of all, there's a variety of gifts. He talked about that in verse 4. And we all can have different gifts, differing gifts, but each one of us plays an important role part in the body of Christ. Each one of us, every one of us, has value when it comes to serving Jesus. Second thing, verse 5, there is a variety of ministries. What does he mean by that? Well, let's just take, for example, a commonly acknowledged gift might be the gift of teaching. And so you can have someone who has the gift of teaching, and there can be varying ministries that they may have. For example, someone with the gift of teaching... Uh, might teach a children's class, or someone with the gift of teaching might teach a small group. Someone with the gift of teaching might be a pastor who on Sunday morning speaks from the pulpit in the worship service. Someone with the gift of teaching might be a professor who teaches at a Christian school. See, there's a variety of gifts, but there's also a variety of ministries with those gifts. For example, you could also take the gift of evangelism. Someone might have the gift of evangelism. They might be like a Billy Graham, who's maybe the most famous evangelist in recent history. And Billy Graham's ministry was primarily a ministry in an arena, and he spoke to audiences of all ages. It's one variety of ministry of the gift of evangelism. Another example of that would be my friend Dean Hatfield, who is now with the Lord, but he discipled me quite a bit. He had the gift of evangelism. I've never seen anything like it. But it was a different kind of ministry than the ministry that Billy Graham had. His ministry was more one-on-one, and his ministry was more with college students. So there is a variety of gifts. There's a variety of ministries And then also, thirdly, there is a variety of effects of those gifts and ministries. There are differing spheres of spiritual influence that people have. One way to illustrate this would be just look at the Apostle Paul. What was his sphere of spiritual influence? (laughs) Wow. I mean, his ministry touched the entire Roman Empire. And then if you even... Projected beyond that, through the centuries, Paul's ministry has touched the whole world. That's a variety of effect of ministry. Now, just kind of using myself here, let's just shrink it down quite a bit. Look at Bruce Hess. I mean, my ministry has had an influence in a town of about 128,000 people in Norman, Oklahoma, but not all 128,000. I've also had some ministry effect in the nation of Latvia, But there's just a variety of effects, you see, that happen. Some of you um, might be, you know, in a small group ministering. Some of you might be in a Sunday school class ministering. Some people might be ministering to a far larger group of people. You see, there's a variety of effects and sphere of influence in ministry. Now, why is that important to acknowledge all of these things? Well, here's what I think. I think the three V's of the gifts assist us in abstaining from what we could call the comparison syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? That's where we look around and we compare ourselves to someone else who maybe has a different gift or a different ministry or a different effect of ministry, and then suddenly we think, whoa, I'm not as cool as they are. Or I might think, man, I'm so much better than they are. What's their problem? I'll just illustrate it around myself again. For example, we have in our culture John MacArthur and Charles Swindoll and both of them have written more than a hundred books and commentaries. How many have I written? well, i've written two, and both of them are in Latvian. you know so if you get into this comparison thing, you can say you know i guess i'm I'm pretty much a failure. I mean i haven't written hundreds of books and commentaries see this this is why the three V's of the gifts will assist us in abstaining from the comparison syndrome. And we can all be guilty of that. We we can be saying, you know what? Their group is bigger than my group. Their class is bigger than my class. Or my group's better than their group, much bigger. You know, I must be much better. Or someone might say, well, you know, they work with 25 people. I only work with five. Well, again, the three V's can help us abstain from the comparison syndrome. Now, I do want you to notice what he says there in verses four to six. Notice he says, we have a variety of gifts, but it's the same spirit who gives the gifts. We have a variety of ministries, but it's the same Lord that we're serving. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who is working in all of them. Don't need to get hung up in all of that at all. Here's the key. What we need to do is we need to serve Him. We need to do the works that He has pre planned for us to do. That's where our focus needs to be. So, we said we were going to do four different things today. The first thing was we're looking at these three V's of gifts. The second thing we want to do is look at some gift descriptions. Now, when you look at the major passages, the four major chapters in the New Testament, Anybody remember what they are? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And you look at them, and they can break down into three categories of spiritual gifts. For example, one category would be speaking gifts. An illustration might be the gift of teaching or the gift of evangelism. Those are speaking gifts. Another category of gifts we would call serving gifts illustration might be helpful deeds is a serving gift. Leadership, serving other people by leading, is a serving gift. And then a third category you have is what we could call the signifying gifts or the sign gifts, and some illustrations of that might be the gift of healing and the gift of miracles. Now, when you look at these three different categories of gifts, what you will find is that in the evangelical community at large, there is a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of contrasting views of things. Some people would say this, for example. They would say regarding the signifying gifts, they would say those gifts are still active today. We should expect those sign gifts to be completely normal today. Others would say, oh, no, I don't, I don't really think so. I think the signifying gifts were foundational gifts Uh, They were tied back to the apostles. We should not expect them to be normative today. Some people would come along and they would say, regarding the gift of prophecy, we think that the gift of prophecy was a foundational gift. It related to the assembling of the canon of Scripture. Other people say, no, 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 the gift of prophecy, you know, the closest thing to that today would be preaching. When someone's preaching, they're exercising the gift of prophecy. And other people would say, no, no, no. I I think the gift of prophecy is, is some sort of inner leading and some sort of inner insight that God gives to us about other people and situations. Some people would say they expect every believer to speak in tongues, that's what every believer should expect. Others come along and they disagree with a totally different perspective. They would say, no, Paul was very, very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30 when he said, all do not speak with tongues. They would say that even in the New Testament times, all believers did not speak with tongues. So we have these differing perspectives, these contrastive views. And here's the way I approach this. Rather than getting sidetracked in all of that, Rather than getting bogged down and working through all of those disagreements and all of those controversies, what I want to do is focus on consensus. I want to focus on the virtual agreement that people have about gifts. I want to talk about what I call the nine consensus gifts. That's what we want to examine, the nine consensus gifts. And so let's look at these nine gifts that pretty much everybody would agree are spiritual gifts that the New Testament discusses. So here's the first one, is the gift of leadership. And you'll notice we have Romans 12.8 and 1 Corinthians 12.28. There's actually two terms that point to the gift of leadership. In Romans 12.8, it talks about someone who leads. Literally, in the original, it's someone who stands before others. It was used of a leader of an army or a leader of a group. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it talks about administration or those who are administrating. That word comes from a word that was used of a steersman or a helmsman at a ship. So you see the idea of leadership expressed two different ways, someone who stands before others or someone who is the steersman and the helmsman of the ship. And by the way, you don't have to worry about all of these things, we're going to have available for you a a definition list of the nine consensus gifts, and some of those definitions are even more detailed than what I'm going to share today. But this is what the gift of leadership is. It is the God-given capacity to coordinate, organize, and lead with efficiency. People with the gift of leadership are able to give visions, set direction, and mobilize others in such a way that others are delighted with their leadership. Those with this gift view leading as a way of serving others. So that's the first of the nine. Second of the nine is the gift of helpful deeds. And again, we have Romans 12:7 and 1 Corinthians 12:28 mentioned there. In 12:28 it talks about the gift of helps, or the gift of helping. The idea behind that word is the idea of support. And then in Romans 12:7 it talks about one who serves, one who serves. What is the gift of helpful deeds? Well, it is the special ability, notice how all of these are special abilities, to serve others by doing tangible, practical tasks. Those with this gift readily perceive practical, everyday ministry tasks that need to be done, and notice they delight, they delight in assisting others so they can be more, the other people, more successful in accomplishing their ministry. We could not do Sunday without the gift of helpful deeds functioning. We couldn't do this because we need people who are working and helping and assisting in key ways. Another gift would be the gift of evangelism. Ephesians 4.11 mentions that. What is that? Well, you'll notice again, it's a special ability and drive to effectively present the gospel clearly. Those with this gift carry a regular burden for those who don't know Jesus and look for opportunities to build a bridge to unbelievers. And here's what's interesting about this gift. They also enjoy equipping other believers in reaching out to a lost world. Fourth gift in the nine consensus gifts, is the gift of encouragement. Again, we have Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. What is that gift? Well, it is the special ability to come alongside believers in order to motivate and assist them in spiritual progress or to encourage and comfort those who are discouraged and downhearted. The person with that gift is a person whom others seek for counsel, guidance, and help in decision-making, the gift of encouragement. Now, who in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, is the classic illustration of someone with the gift of encouragement? Barnabas, exactly. In fact, his nickname was the son of encouragement. And he utilized his gift to encourage other people. What's interesting about Barnabas is he did not write one sentence of Scripture. But he employed his gift of encouragement to minister to the Apostle Paul. And he, he employed his gift of encouragement to minister to John Mark. And you take Paul and John Mark, and together they wrote 14 of the 27 New Testament books. It's an important gift. Fifth gift is the gift of faith. that comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 9. What is the gift of faith? Well, it is the special ability to trust God to meet a specific need that looks impractical or impossible to others. Those with this gift have a strong confidence that God will work consistent with his promises. This is a person who inspires others to trust God more fully. Some of you might be saying, well, I've never really heard much about that gift. Well, it's, it's a gift. My first exposure to that gift came when I was in seminary. And my friend, Bob Sahlstrom, was the one who demonstrated to me in multiple ways that he had the gift of faith. He was the director of alumni and church relations at Dallas Seminary. And uh, one particular day, and he told me this whole story himself, he said he was leaving to go and speak out of state. And as he was leaving the campus, they had some beautiful big trees there, and he noticed that the groundskeepers were cutting them down. And it's always a shame to see a big tree being cut down. And So he went over to the groundskeeper and says, well, you know, what's going on? And he says, well, these are diseased trees. we got to bring them down. And he said, it's really sad. It's really bad when you lose big trees like this on campus. And Bob said to the groundskeeper, how much would it cost to replace these trees that you're having to cut down? And he thought about it for a moment, and he said, and Bob said to him, God is going to provide. So Bob gets on a plane, he goes off out of state to speak, and after his speaking engagement that he had one particular evening, a man came up to him and said, you know, God has just been encouraging me to give a donation to the seminary to use however God wants to have it used, and so he handed him a check. you know what the amount of the check was? $15,000. Now, now, That doesn't sound overly impressive to us because this actually happened a number of years ago. And I just took an inflation calculator and figured out what that gift would be worth in today's dollars, and it would be more like $75,000 to $100,000. So think about that. He said, God is gonna provide. And in today's dollars, someone just walked up with the exact amount, and it might have been like $75,000 in today's dollars the gift of faith. You know, the greatest example that I know of in church history of someone with the gift of faith would have been George Mueller. You can read about him. He indeed had the gift of faith. Another gift is the gift of giving, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. What does this mean? Well, it's the special ability to eagerly, generously, and sacrificially give money to God's work or to God's people, with such wisdom and cheerfulness that other people are blessed. Now, notice this. It's not necessarily equated with wealth. Someone can have the gift of giving and not necessarily have a lot of money. But they are willing to limit their lifestyle in order to invest as much as possible. I just told you the story with Bob Solstrom. He goes and guy walks up to him and has this gift. I'm sure that that guy had the gift of giving. He had the gift of giving, who handed him that check for $15,000. Seventh gift in the 12, or rather the nine consensus gifts, number seven, the gift of mercy, Romans chapter 12 and verse 8. What is the gift of mercy? Well, it is, again, the special ability to render acts of compassionate aid to those who are hurting or in distress. Someone with this gift, they have a strong sensitivity to perceive the hurts of people especially those who are often overlooked and considered unlovely or struggling to help themselves, the gift of mercy. Number eight would be the gift of teaching, mentioned in Romans 12.7, 1 Corinthians 12.28, Ephesians 4.11. What does that mean? What is the gift of teaching? Well, it is the special ability to study the Word and to clearly communicate its content so that others may learn, understand, and respond to God's truth. They have, those who have this gift, a keen interest in studying and applying Scripture in such a way that others experience life change and grow more Christ-like. Now, any guess as to what my strongest spiritual gift would be? If you don't know me, this is my strongest spiritual gift. But it's not my only one. Another primary gift I have is the gift of shepherding, which is the ninth gift. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 talks about that. What is the gift of shepherding? Well, it is the special ability to have ongoing responsibility for the spiritual welfare of a group of believers. People with a gift of shepherding oversee others in a way that guides, cares for, protects, and nurtures them towards spiritual maturity. Those with the gift of shepherding are willing to give of themselves to see others grow in Christ's likeness. Now, this gift is very important, and this gift of shepherding is needed throughout, throughout the body of Christ. We need people who will shepherd children. We need people who will shepherd students. We need people who will shepherd college students. We need people who will shepherd small groups. And you could go on and on. The gift of shepherding is so very important. But here's the idea. There are different gifts and different ministries and different effects, but each gift makes a unique contribution to how God wants us to serve one another. Now, just to illustrate this for a moment, I want to read to you a a little story. It's about John and Mary who are having a dinner party at their house, 20 guests over. And dinner was over, and Mary went out into the kitchen to prepare the dessert. And so she made up this tray. It was filled up with little dishes of ice cream with all these toppings and whipped cream on them. But before she can get to the dining room table, she trips and boom, goes all of the desserts on the floor. Now, how would the differing spiritual gifts maybe respond to that situation? Well, someone with the gift of helpful deeds would probably say, Mary, let me help you. And they would get up from the table and start moving chairs out of the way and cleaning things up. The one with the gift of leadership would likely say, let's all clean up. Bill, you pick up the glass. Bruce, you get a mop. Ellen, maybe you can get some rags. We can get this done. The one with the gift of teaching might say, this is not an accident. God is sovereign. We need to remember that all things work together for good. The one with the gift of evangelism might say, our reaction to this can be a credible testimony to others about how real the life of Christ is in us. The one with the gift of shepherding would probably say, it's good that we're all experiencing this together. We can all grow from this particular incident. The one with the gift of encouragement would probably say something like this. Mary, that's okay. We've all done that. It's no big deal. We didn't really need dessert anyway. The one with the gift of mercy would probably say this. Mary, are you hurt? You need a hug right now? The one with the gift of faith would probably say, God has something better for us than even this great dessert that you had prepared. And then the one with the gift of giving would likely say, hey, I think I'm going to take all of us out for dessert. See how the different gifts respond to different situations. So remember, we're looking at the three Vs. We've looked at gift descriptions. The third thing we want to do out of four things is we want to look at three fascinating facets about spiritual gifts. These things are really, really interesting to me, and I hope you find them interesting to you. Three fascinating facets. Here's the first one, very first one that we see. As believers, I don't know if you were picking up on this when we were looking at the definitions, but as believers, we're all called to do all of these things that are represented by the nine consensus gifts. Leadership, we're all called to lead. Husbands are called to lead their marriage. Parents are called to lead their children. Uh, Those who are older are called to lead the younger. Helpful deeds, Galatians 5.13. We are to serve one another. Evangelism, Acts 1.8. He said, you shall all be my witnesses, right? Uh, Encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, we are to encourage one another. The gift of faith, Romans 1.17, the just shall live by what? By faith. The gift of giving, 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says, I want each one of you in the church to set aside from your your funds something so that you can give on a regular basis. And then the gift of mercy, Luke 6.36, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. The gift of teaching, same thing. We're all called to do this. The author to the Hebrews confronts the Hebrew believers in chapter 5 and verse 12, and he says to them, by now you ought to be teachers, and you're still spiritual babies. Colossians 3.16, we are called to teach one another. And then shepherding. 1 Corinthians 12 25, we are to care for one another. Galatians 6 1, we are to restore one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 14. It says to the believing community Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone, shepherd one another. You see, as believers, We're all called to do these things. Now, I remind you again of the definition of a spiritual gift. It is a special spirit-given ability to serve Christ and others. So if we're all called to do all of these things, why does he hand out a special spirit-given ability? Which leads us to fascinating facet number two. This this is really cool stuff. All the gifts are designed to be models for other believers. All the gifts are designed to be prototypes. All the gifts are designed to be living illustrations to inspire other people. You want to get better at leadership? Watch people who have the gift of leadership. You want to get better at evangelism? Watch someone who has the gift of evangelism and learn from them. You want to get better at being merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful? Watch people who have the gift of mercy. You want to get better at shepherding people? You watch someone who has the gift of shepherding. You see, all of these gifts are designed to be models for Other people, so important. You miss a big part of spiritual gifts if you miss this. See, that's why there's value in every spiritual gift from another angle. Now, fascinating facet number three is this. Awareness of need is a central component of a gift, Awareness of need is a central component of a gift. Now, because my strongest gift is the gift of teaching, I'm often noticing needs about the area of gift of teaching. I might hear about a prominent new teaching that's out there, and I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't square up with Scripture. We need to talk about that. Or maybe I see an area of teaching that just isn't being covered, even in the church, and I'm going, why aren't we talking about that? You see, because... Awareness of need is a central component of a gift. Over the years, I've had to minister over four decades to a lot of hurting people, a lot of people in crisis, a lot of people in the midst of hardship. What is interesting, though, is that the gift of mercy is not one of my primary gifts. And I remember a time a particular individual came to me to admonish me, they were very exasperated with me because they were thinking about two different situations. And they came to me out of frustration, and they said, can't you see they're hurting? Can't you see that they are struggling? And as they're talking to me, I had a couple of different responses. I mean, part of it was like, you're right, I missed it. I didn't see it. Part of my response was a little bit of guilt over that. Another part of the response, to be honest with you, was a little bit of irritation and resentment at they're admonishing me. And as I reflected back on that later, you know, it's like a little light went on, bink. That person has the gift of mercy. And I began to look at that person a little bit differently. Because you see, awareness of need is a central component of a gift. And rather than being irritated with that person, you know what I said? I'm going to start watching them. I'm going to observe them. I want to learn from them. I want to grow from their gift. This is a revolutionary perspective about spiritual gifts. Very seldom ever talked about. So we're, again, doing multiple things today. We've looked at the three Vs. We've looked at some gift descriptions. We've looked at the three fascinating facets. Those are very important. We want to end with some insights on identifying your spiritual gifts. All right, this is the practical part where we begin to apply this a little bit. So we're going to look at several things. First of all, be informed. The very fact that you're here today is a big step in that direction because you're learning about spiritual gifts. And remember that awareness of need is a key indicator. Now, here's what oftentimes happens in the church because we as leaders get to hear about some of this. You have people go around and say, you know what, there's need over there, there's need over here, there's need over there. I see this need over here. And then they simply want the leaders to know about it. What I want to say to this, awareness of need is a key indicator of a gift. A lot of times when we go around and we see this need and we see that need and we see this need, it's just almost like the Holy Spirit saying, you know what? you're probably seeing those needs because it ties in with your spiritual gift. Awareness of need is a key indicator of a gift. So be informed, listen to feedback, listen to your husband, listen to your wife, listen to your friends, listen to the people in your small group. What are they saying? What are they affirming in your life? Second insight is to be active, to be active. You know, a baby learns through activity. And even myself, I developed some of my spiritual gifts by just simply activity and learning and developing. And so we want you to be active. Try several different ministry areas. Try them out. See how they go. And if you need to get active, one way you could get active today would be to go to our children's ministry table out in the gathering hall. And there's multiple ministry opportunities to lead, to lead the next generation. They're looking for people to lead various levels. And so maybe for you, if you've been inactive, that's what you do is you walk out there and get active by volunteering in that way. Third thing I would say by way of insight to identifying gifts is to become an encourager of others. And we need to do this. You know, sometimes we come to church and it's just amazing how we're self-focused completely. Ever have that problem? I, I, I struggle with that. Well, what if we turn it around a little bit and say, you know, I'm, when I come together with the body of Christ, what I want to do is I want to affirm some people. I want to encourage some people. I want to say, you know what? I see that God has gifted you in this way or you are effective for Christ when you do such and such. Be an encourager of others. And then the fourth way to help identify gifts is to take what we've developed called the Spiritual Gift Indicator Profile. This is not inspired, but it's helpful. And you can take that. We have uh, hard copies of those out in the Welcome Center. You could pick one of those up if you're a hard copy person. Or you can go to our website, wildwoodchurch.org, slash serve, and you could download the PDF. PDF. It also has a copy of the nine consensus gifts and it's got clear instructions about how you calculate after you've taken that profile and work your way through it. And we're so committed to this. Many of you know our messages go out to Latvia. Uh, We're gonna make all that information available to our Latvian friends. Make sure that it's translated so that they can learn too about how to be more effective in the divine design that God has given to them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn. We thank you for the divine design that you've given to us, for us to understand the shape that you have brought in our life so that we can serve Christ and serve other people. So we pray for each one of us that we might be more effective than we've ever been in serving you and serving the Lord Jesus because we want to honor him. We want to give glory to him. We wanna fulfill our divine design for his honor and for his glory. And we pray these things in his name, amen.